I mean, what? You know. So, how many of you guys have been to any of the uh, Ripley's Believe or Not museums? Yeah, they're usually around like tourist traps, like Hollywood or San Francisco, or like there's one in San Antonio, the beach. So, what did you guys? What kind of stuff did you guys? Do you remember what you saw? Anything crazy or weird? The weird attractions. Yeah, they have they have all kinds of stuff, right? And I remember as a kid, the show uh, That's Incredible, I think that was on Sunday nights, was a big deal, of the, the show That's Incredible. Because there's all kinds of people doing things, and this was before the internet, so that was the internet, basically. All kinds of stuff that you wouldn't believe it unless you saw it, right? You had to see that there's no way that a human being can be eight feet, almost nine feet tall. Right, there's the tallest person in the world. So they have a statue, they have, it's a wax figure, whatever it is, that shows you the perspective of how, this bi how big this person is. Or even, I think, one of the zoos we've been to, I think it was either Santa Barbara or Jacksonville, somewhere they have a, kind of an outline of an orangutan standing with his arms out. And so you can go up and stand in front of it and you can see how big they are. Right? And of course, you wouldn't really think that if you're just seeing this, like, okay, yeah, it's a big ape, but it's not that big. Yeah, until you actually put that in perspective of you standing next to it, a full-grown human going, wow, his arms are th three or four feet longer than mine on each end, you know, whatever it is. And so we have this problem sometimes. We, we don't trust things or we don't want to believe it until we actually see it. Right? That's why the Guinness Book of World Records exists as well, partly because some of them are really crazy, weird things like dribbling a basketball for four days or whatever it is, you know, the crazy world records. You wouldn't believe that somebody would do these things unless somebody was there to verify it. Because that's what it is. It's not just somebody sends in a, a thing and says, hey, I bounced a basketball for four days. Is that the world record? They actually have a huge thing where they, have, they come out, the, the Guinness people come out and like, observe you doing it. So you can't just cheat and say, oh, yeah, I have the world record. Like, they have, there's a huge process to verify this. Because, one, I mean, it's a pretty big deal to have a world record, I guess, for whatever it is, any, anything you do like that. But you need to have some independent verification because people are not going to want to just believe it, just take it at face value. Right? And of course, we have all these things going around, you know, with, with, with you can edit videos. You know, that's why, like, if you see UFOs, if you see different things, like videos like that, that people go to excruciating lengths to prove or disprove that a video or picture or something like that is, is real or not. Right? They can look at it and say, oh, this video was doctored up, you know, they put this thing on here because a lot of times you can look at pictures and things especially and they're really well done if you just kind of look at it, wow, that's, that's got to be true. And then you get yourself in hot water because you're believing something that now is not true. And other people are trying to use information, right? We know there's all kinds of information wars going on. And so we have to be doubly and triply uh, effective at looking at data, looking at information, and figuring out if this is real or not. And then we have to choose to believe it or not, just like the title is, right? This is believe it or not. And so this, we're in the middle part of chapter 3 for John. And so this is where we're getting to. This is really the, 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 the crux of the entire gospel that gets into this. And then we see that John is bringing out through this conversation of Jesus and Nicodemus that Jesus is going to explain exactly what he's doing here. And it's up to us, as humans, to believe it or not. 
Right? Now there's some other stuff, but and we're gonna. I'll get, it's a little bit of foreshadowing, but but this is where we have this perfect tension or mix of God's sovereignty, His will in the world, and our free agency that we are allowed to make decisions. We're just not robots. God just doesn't make us a robot and program us to believe in Him or not. You know, He allows us to make up our own mind. So this, and nothing, nothing violates the either. You know, one, one effect does not violate the other. But God's will always succeeds because He is God. So it's not like we can just stop God from doing whatever. Right? So we're going to pick up this conversation that we started a couple weeks ago in the first part of chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in chapter 9 with this question that Jesus, that Nicodemus is going to ask Jesus about being reborn. And that's going to pick up from there. So this is John chapter 3, verse 9. And we're going to read to verse 18. We're going all the way to verse 21 today. But we're going to just read verses 9 through 18 right now. And then we'll read the other few verses as we get down to at the end. So Nicodemus says, How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to, testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as, this is verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, or His only begotten Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. All right, so that's all the way to verse 18. And again, we'll pick up 19, and 19 through 21 at the end, in our last point of the sermon. But here is the main idea of this, of this whole, you know, John 3.16 is really that focus, but really it's 16 through 18 is the most important part. That's the gospel. But here's the main point. The only way to have eternal life is to believe or put your faith in Jesus. That's it. There's no other alternative route. Right? That's it. There, there is no... Some people don't like that. That's not, that's not God's problem. That's not, that's not even your problem if you're telling people about the gospel. They have to believe this. And we're going to get into that, but that's what it is. This is he's the only road to heaven. Now again, people are, oh, that's exclusionary. Yes, it is, because you have to believe, because you have that power to believe or not. So it's up to you. For the, part, partly. We'll, get, we'll cover that because, again, how much free will do we have? How much of God's will? Everything else. Right? And so, so the way we can believe, the way we can answer the question of do I believe it or not is we need to do certain things. So, so the first part is our, our, our bulletins. If you're looking at the, the back of your bulletins, right? We need to increase understanding. We need to understand what's going on. And then we need to place our trust in the correct person, which is Jesus. Because we also know the, need to know the consequences of what's going on or what's, what's going to happen. What's at risk if we don't choose or do choose one thing over another? 
And so again, we're continuing this conversation in verses 9 through 13. We're continuing this conversation that was the verse 8 verses. So again, the spiritual rebirth that Jesus is talking about comes from God. It is made possible through God. The salvation is made possible through God. So God is doing all the work. He's the actor. But this spiritual rebirth, it creates a new creation in the spirit. We are now reborn. We are new people. So the question is, what do we do with this information? Because obviously, just like Nicodemus, is like, well, I don't understand how this works. How can these things be? Right, just like Ripley's Believer, how could that possibly be this wonderful thing you try to tell me and convince me? I, I want to see what it is, so, you, so at least I can see it in a museum or something like that. And it's an important question. There should be no problem with asking certain questions. We are allowed to ask God questions. If you read Job, Job asked God a whole ton of questions. Other people throughout the Bible ask questions. We don't find, figure things out unless we ask questions. And so we gain understanding by doing this. So if we take Jesus' statement about becoming like a child, part of that means if you, you, we've been kids and we've had kids, we're around kids. What's the one number one question when you're probably three or four? Why? Why? Why are we doing this? Why are we going here? What are we having the effort in? Why? 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 Right? Dude, stop. <laughs> but as an adult, guess what? I'm, this, I'm still the same way. My bosses, I know through my life, the people I work for, a lot of times, and my parents still, they get irritated because I ask, why? Let's do this. Why? And I'm being cantankerous. I'm trying to figure out why we want to do it. Is there a better way? Or what's the best way, right? We want to figure, I want to understand what they're doing and what they're asking me of to do. But I also want to know if there's a better way to do it. Not because I'm smarter, but because I like to be efficient and effective. Right? So anyway, but we, as, we talk, as we work through this, as we become as little children to coming to Jesus, we can ask why, and that's okay. Because we want to understand what's going on. So when we read the Bible, when we pray, we're asking why didn't something turn out a certain way, we can ask Him that. We can feel confident. Why? Because God is God. He's not afraid of our questions because He's God. It all works out. The Bible is completely laid out and it makes sense. And you can't, you can pick it apart, but eventually you get down to the thing and say, oh, this does make sense. Or even, even the four Gospels, people say, oh, there's different stories. No, they're different points of view. And when you put them all together, if you stitch them all together, they actually make more sense, and it makes a whole lot more sense. You get a bigger picture than if you just had one gospel. So there's a reason behind the, the fact that there's four different gospels. Because there are four different people with points of view and different information and different education levels that are putting information in there that once you read all of it together, like, oh, that, everything makes complete sense. Now, certain things we don't know because, again, it is kind of some things are lost on us as far as the cultural, whatever's going on as far as being a Jew, living in the first century, knowing certain things that were just going on that they may be referring to that we don't get. <clears throat> but there's some, that doesn't happen that often, and we can figure it out. We have enough history stuff where we can figure this out. Right? But when we read the Bible, we can ask, why is this passage here? Well, even chapter 3, because I was actually debating on going all the way to the end of chapter 3, because they all flow together. It may not seem like it, just like chapter 2 seemed like it didn't make sense with the temple and the, 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 the wedding party. But once you start looking at what they mean, it all makes sense. So God has a plan for all these things. We can ask why, because we need to understand why as much as we can. 
But Jesus goes on to explain, look, if I told you these earthly things, if I already told you these things that you can see, you didn't get it. And how are you going to sit there and how am I going to explain to you these things about heaven that you can't even, there's no way you can even grasp it at all. And, it's, and again here in verse 13, he drops a bomb on him and says, it may sound really odd to Nicodemus in a way, because he says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended, descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So again, this is written 40, 50, 60 years after, perhaps, of the events that happened. He's, he's actually writing down about. So we all know what happens. So we, it also presupposes that we already knew the other stories with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So the audience already knew the story. We already know that Jesus, who He is, He was born, He came, He he was crucified, he was born, he was buried, resurrected, and then lay afterwards, you know, 40 days later, right? He he ascended back into heaven. So Jesus is foreshadowing on one hand what's going to happen with Nicodemus, but he's also John is also affirming what happened to the audience. And so he's using these tools as a as a narrative tool, right, to explain the story, explain what's happening. And so he's, Jesus is foreshadowing that he is going to return, that he came from heaven, and he's going to return to heaven as well. And Nicodemus is probably sitting there going, what do I do with this information? How am I supposed to believe this stuff that you're telling me? Because it doesn't make sense that anybody can actually come from heaven. That's where we go when we die. We can't come out of there. And then how do I get, how is he going to get back there? There's no elevator. There's no ladder. You know, they know Elijah and a couple other people just kind of went into heaven. So this word believe is, is, is the title of it. It's in here several times in this passage. And so we have to have an understanding of what this word means, believe, because depending on how you use it, it can be different things. Right? You, you can believe things, but not necessarily believe in, or you can believe in and not believe it and actually trust it, think it's true. Right? So in the, Greek, in the Greek, the word is pistos, and so there has a couple different definitions or usages, essentially of what it is. And so the first definition, the first usage of this is, is to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust. Right? When you're saying, I believe this, like you believe it, you trust it, you, 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 you're taking it on 100%. There is no way around it is, is exactly true. So if I say the grass is green, everybody's like, yes, the grass is green. Like I trust you, I believe that, you're saying the same thing. And there's another one, there's another usage that it kind of shifts, it, the meaning gets shifted into um, in the second half of this chapter, that, that it's to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. You believe in or trust it with implication of total commitment to the one who is trusted. Right, so when we do this, we... we if I believe you, that means I trust you. So if I, if I say, hey, did you pay the bills this week? And Veronica says, yes, then I believe her. I trust that she paid the bills. And she trusts me if I say, she asked me the same question, yes, I paid the bills. Sometimes I forget, so that's why she has to ask, right? <clears throat> but this is, you notice that you have one thing where you consider something to be true, but then the other thing is you're completely entrusting yourself, you're giving yourself over, you say, all right. That part's taken care of. I don't have to do that part. And so there's, and so the word belief, we, we, we use it to say, you know, it's kind of hard to depend on what you mean by when you say believe. Like, I believe, but I don't trust you. 
Like, I believe in God, I believe He's there, but do I really trust Him? Right? There's two different things. Because if I believe that she paid the bills, I'm not going to go back and check. If I don't believe, if I don't trust her that she paid the bills, I am going to go back and check. Now, there's a thing like trust but verify. I get that, you know, in the military, that's one thing you, got, you kind of got to do. But at the same time, there's usually some other implication for that. But I'm not going to behind and verifying God is who is doing what he said he was going to do. I, I don't have the authority. I can't do that. Right, so that's there are the two usage of the word belief here that, that I think that second one is something that we don't necessarily think about or use it in that way expli- explicitly. Like we don't think that way any, even though we probably should. Right, so when you're trusting God, that's really what you're doing. So here's the application part for this is, is that we need to believe the unbelievable. Right, you can watch all kinds of videos and stuff about UFOs and things like that, and you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. That's probably a plane or whatever it is. You can kind of use your logic and go, eh. But there are certain things you're like, ooh, that, okay. I got no answer for that. Right? I have no answer for whatever I just saw, like in Ripley's Believe It or Not, the museums or whatever. I have no answer for what they're showing me. So I'm going to have to trust that it's probably right. So Jesus is asking Nicodemus to stop trying to use his human understanding to figure things out. Right? Because he said, Jesus said you're going to be born again. And he goes automatically to biology class and goes, wait, I can't go back in the womb to come back out. That doesn't make sense to me. But we have to stop that because God can do the impossible. Because we have to look past ourselves in the natural law of what we understand. And we have to stop saying that's impossible. Why? Because the Bible explains and shows several different places that Abraham and Sarah have a child when it's biologically impossible for it to happen. They're too old. Same thing with Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? John the Baptist's parents. They were too old to have kids. But yet they have kids. They have because, why? Because God made everything happen for his prophet John the Baptist to pre- precede the Messiah. It's part of God's will for it to happen. So even though you know, Sarah giggled and laughed, she laughed when God said they were going to have a kid in the tent. And God's like, Who, what are you laughing about? Right? You don't trust me that what's going to happen is going to happen. Because I said it was. So we need to do the same thing. Because even though those things seemed impossible to those people, and we have other things like that that happen, they, we know they happened. And we have... All of us probably have some kind of story like that in our lives where it would seem that something happened that's impossible, but it actually happened. People get cured of cancer. People get cured of whatever diseases, whatever it is. And the doctors can't explain it. You can't explain it. Things happen. People show up. Things, whatever it is, because God is a God of everything is possible. And so A.W. Tozer says that we serve a mighty God who not only created His world, but controls His world. He can do what He wants, including stepping into His world, right? That's what we see here with Jesus coming in. He steps into the world to save the world. We'll get into it in a minute. Then Billy Graham is quoted as saying, Most of all, God has blessed us by giving us the privilege of knowing Him and walking with Him every day. He did this by sending His Son into the world to die for our sins. You see, when we have this idea, we, we have this ability to get to know Him, we can ask Him these questions, we can increase in our understanding. 
And when we start to understand, we get to know God, we can put our trust in Him and believe in Him. So the next part, verses 14 through 18, so Jesus gives an example. He's a teacher, he likes to give illustrations, and he uses what they know, and so he goes straight to Moses, because Moses was a type of Christ, but Jesus is the one who is greater than Moses. And so again, we all probably know John 3.16, everybody can close their eyes and probably recite it, no problem, right? And so, Jesus uses this word, the Son of Man, in verse 14, or 13. And so he, he explains this, he expands on this a little longer. And then he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so again, we have to know, we're not Israelites, so we don't know exactly, we may not be super familiar with the Old Testament. And so what happened was that God was using snakes... To, uh, to bring judgment on the Israelites because they were being rebellious. And so Moses, well, God tells Moses that, hey, look, you need to put the snake up here. And so this comes from Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 through 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And so whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. So he brings judgment, but he also brings a way to heal this person. And so Moses, again, is a savior-type figure. He intercedes again, so he's like, hey, we can't, you can't just kill your people again. So God says, okay, here, here's the way to do this. And so God provides the means of healing those people who were bitten, but it was only a physical healer. Right, again, we're just dealing with the physical piece of it. So God saved the Israelites, providing the means or the mode of salvation just by looking at the serpent on the pole. But that was only for the Israelites or whoever was there during the Exodus and you know, trying to go to the Promised Land. For those people at that time. But in verse 15 of John chapter 3, Jesus expands this circle of salvation to everyone who believes in Him. Not just the Israelites. He's not just saving the Israelite nation, but this is everyone who believes. So everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. So how do, who, who is everyone? Everyone is... The people who are reborn now become everyone who understands. You have your eyes open, you can all of a sudden, things start to make sense because you now have this viewpoint of God and the Holy Spirit, through the, you know, God the Holy Spirit, through your life to say, oh, 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 and we'll get to it in a minute of how that happens or what that really means, but that is who the everyone is. Because God makes the salvation possible. Because Jesus' work on the cross expands who can be saved so everyone who believes and what they get, they get eternal life. They don't just get, you get to keep on living and you're healed from this poison. You are now, you will now be in heaven. But why? Why does the Son descend from heaven? Why does the Father send the Son? Because John 3.16 Right, usually if you hear it, for God so loved the world. And so, so a little bit more accurate or, or just kind of a, put it in a bigger perspective is for God loved the world in this way. Because right? that's what the word so means in that phrasing. So God to love the world. He loved the world in this way. Right? How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Let me show you. So he's, how do I love you? I'm sending my only son to come and die for your sins. That's how much I love you, right? Because he is showing an act because he, we want to see signs. We want to see proof. 
Because it's one thing to say I love you, but it's another thing to, to bring you breakfast in bed or put up with your shenanigans. Right? Whenever you're married, you're like, oh, yes, I still love you. <laughs> right? Because you... <laughs> The fact that I haven't clocked you over the head with a frying pan indicates that I love you. <laughs> no, no, joking. But that's what it is. God is saying, look, this is my demonstration of my love for you. This is the love letter that I've written to you. And not just words on a paper, but actual actions. This is why He gave His only Son, because He loves us. And this is good news, but it gets better. It gets better in verse 17. Because he says, he came to save the world, not condemn it. He's not sitting around going, oh, all you people who didn't believe. No, he says, all you people who believe, you're coming with me. It's a positive thing. Now, there is consequences, and we're going to get to that in a, minute, a few minutes. But he came to save the world. He didn't come down and say, you're all going to hell. He said, you all are going to heaven. Not everybody, but the people who believe, right? So I want to make sure this is just everybody just gets to be on the train. But we have this idea that He came to save the world. He came to fix the world that we broke. When Adam and Eve sinned, we broke the world. Jesus came to fix it. So one commentator says, in the, in the New Testament, God's purpose in sending Jesus was not to condemn, but to build the bridge and recon, reconciling sacrifice for human beings. Jesus came to build this bridge for us, right? No, no wonder he's a carpenter, he's a, he's a contractor. He can build this thing. That's what, he, that's what his job was. And so again, we know the events, and the events that are foretold in Revelation. It's a done deal. And so to avoid that, God wants you to be saved. And so all the way back in Ezekiel, the Old Testament again, Ezekiel 18.23, it says, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is a question from God. This is a declaration of the Lord God. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives. God takes no pleasure in having people have to go to hell. He's not sending them to hell. That's just what it is. If you're a sinner, that's where you're going until you believe in God and Jesus, that he saved you from yourself and from your sins, that he reconciled you to God. You're going there already, and that's what verse 19 is here in a few minutes we're to get to. Because again, we see how God's sovereignty and our responsibility are perfectly balanced here. We have a responsibility to believe. Just because your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, which is written in the Bible, does not mean you just get the key to heaven in your mailbox one day. And that's your tip-off to know you're going to pass away because like, oh, what's this weird key I got? Well, that's your key to get into the gates, so you're going to pass away tomorrow. Whoa, 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 I don't want this key. Right? <laughs> You have to do something with this information. You have to believe. You have to put your trust. God, you have to trust God with your life. Right? That second definition of the believe word, the Greek word. Because you are, you are able to be saved because of faith. That's what this faith means. Your belief. So Jesus is saying your faith, your belief and trust in God is what saves you. Because it's made possible, though, by the work of Jesus. You are able to believe because of the work of Jesus. So, right, so we have this balance, this balancing act going on. But again, not everybody responds in the same way. Not everybody's going to understand that God's, how God works in the world. They're not going to believe it because they don't see it. Even if they have seen it, they don't understand what they're seeing. 
Right? They're still in the dark. And so the Holy Spirit helps us. He doesn't force us to understand the good news, but He helps us see this. And so God is patient. He can wait us out. And He knows. So it helps us understand. And so here's the application for this part. First, you've got to put your trust in God. And that's pretty self-explanatory. But secondly, you have to keep your trust in God. You have to keep your trust in God. So there's that, there's, that, that does not mean you can lose your salvation. We'll make sure we say that, right? You cannot lose your salvation. And you're like, oh, where'd it go? I lost it. I think I put it away next to my socks. I don't know. Let me find it. I think it's in the garage, in a box. Right? But what this does is this keeps you going. And we have this idea we can always trust God. We can keep going because our faith will be shaken in people. Our faith in people will be shaken, right? We've had people come across us or our, in our lives where I thought I could trust you, but I can't. I figured, whatever happened, I figured out that you couldn't. Or you may have been the person. You may have demonstrated you're untrustworthy at some point for some reason. And it takes a while to build that trust back, right? It takes sometimes years. Or maybe it never gets built back. But we can know when we trust in God that we know that there is one person who will never let you down even though people around you will disappoint you. And that should be reassuring. We can always trust Him to do what's going on and He is going to fulfill things because does that mean God is always going to fulfill your prayers and requests the way you want Him to? No. Because you may be asking things that are outside of His will. You may be asking for things that are outside of what He wants for you, and I mean, it's part of His will, but you know, He has different ideas for you. But when things don't go our way, we can go back to the question of asking why. Alright God, why didn't this happen? Well, because I want you over here and not over here. I need you to do this instead of that. And maybe it's, I'll, you can do that later, but I need you to do this today. And that's hard for us because we have agency, right? We are free people. We are free agents to do what we want. And sometimes we just want to do what we want. But when we're humble enough and we're patient enough, we can discover that God's ways are always better than our ways. So Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 9. Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know Him and He will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Right? Sometimes we all know that first like verse 5, but we don't go all the way down and say, what are the benefits of this? This will be healing for your body when we trust God and His ways. It will be strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first produce of your heart, entire harvest. So every decision we need to make should be made with as much information as possible. That information starts with who God is. Who God is, what does He want from me? And so, part of this, though, to make... The other part of the information we need to have is, is what are the consequences of our actions? If I don't do this, what, what, what's going to happen? If I go here, what's going to happen? Right? So verse 19, we'll start there. So this is the judgment, Jesus says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. And so John goes back to the idea of light and dark, which is kind of sprinkled all the way through this gospel and his other letters. Um, and we know that Jesus is the light of the world because in a few more chapters he's going to say this as one of the I am statements. 
I am the light of the world. Right, so you know, the running joke of people who live in cities is when you turn the lights on, this, the cockroaches scatter, right? Because they're out having a party when you're not there with the lights out, but all of a sudden you go to the fridge and whoa! They get out of there, right? It, it doesn't sound very nice, right? We are the cockroaches, though. Because as soon as Jesus comes into our life, we don't like it. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm out of here. I'll come back when he's gone. That's how some people live their whole lives. I'll come back when he... I'll, I'll come to church when I'm, when I'm better, right? Well, why do you go to the hospital if you're not sick? It's not a, not a cool place to hang out. The, the food is terrible. You're not going there for dinner, right? But it's not a nice analogy, but it works for that because that's how we work, especially when we were B.C., right? Before Christ, we're like, whoa, I don't like this idea of people seeing what I'm doing because people go to great lengths to keep their deeds in the dark. Right, away from other people. The scenarios may be different, right? They may be stealing, cheating, lying, because everything pretty much falls into those kind of bigger categories. Anyhow, no matter what you want to call it, they're all keeping it quiet so they continue to do their de evil acts as long as possible to get as much as they want or need or, or can without anybody knowing about it. And that's how most of the shows, the TV, the cop shows, that's usually what happens. If somebody's doing something, somebody finds out, they have to kill them so nobody else can find out. So now you just have double crimes going on. When if you just would have said, yep, I did it, everything's fine, or it would be better, and that person would be alive. Because they love evil and they hate the light exposing their acts. So the person doing wrong, though, he is left to do all the heavy lifting by him or herself. God is not going to cover for you. He's not going to say, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. Let me help you. Let me help you in your sin. No, he's holy. He's not coming anywhere near that. He's not coming anywhere near you when you're doing that. He's going to uncover you to the contrary. That's usually what happens is God's going to make a way that you pay for the, you pay the tax or you pay for the cost of your actions. Sometimes we call, I've heard it called the stupid tax. And when you do dumb things, you're going to have to pay some kind of price to pay for that because if you just would have done it the better way, the right way, there would be no tax to pay. But when you are working in the light, God takes your burden and he makes your work easy. So John 3.21 again, we'll read it. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. So that he, that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So this phrase, lives by the truth, is a Semitic expression which means to act faithfully or to act honorably. So when you act faithfully or act honorably, just like Proverbs says, all of a sudden things get easier. I'm not going to say your life is primroses and everything. It's like super easy, but, but things happen and the right things happen at the right times. Even though you may be struggling, again, we, we don't get a pass in life. But God is going to take care of things. So here's our application is that your faith in God bleeds over to everything else in your life. Your faith in God bleeds over to everything else in your life. Your belief drives your action. Your faith in God produces good works. Right, here we have this again with James and Peter. Whoa, right, and again, it's Reformation Day. That's the whole thing. That's one of the bigger things is the fact that the Catholic Church was Jesus plus your works. 
evangelicals or Protestants, your faith makes you do good works. You're saved by Jesus. You're saved by His grace alone, by your faith, by the faith alone, and that drives you to, to do everything else. You can act honorably. You can act humbly because you have faith and you want to live faithfully and honorably honoring God. And then people will see God's work in your life. Right? You have the Midas touch all of a sudden. Why? Because Midas is touching everything for you. God is going around making everything golden that He needs for you to be golden. So where the person living in darkness is doing all the work, you are drawn to the light because it's bright and it's warm and it shows you the path you are on. I know my, I'm a, I know my way around the house, but when I get up in the middle of the night with the dogs, I use my flashlight on my phone to, to see where I'm going because it's a lot easier. So in case I fall down the stairs, it, I, mean, I guess I'll die with my phone in my hand maybe, but... At least I can see where I was going as I fought on the stairs, right? It's much easier. <laughs> but we are drawn, just like moths, we are drawn to the light. We are, we are there because and we want to see this path. Nobody likes to go in the woods in the dark. Right? Who, who likes to go hang out in the woods in the dark? That's where all the bad stuff happens. Right? <laughs> horror movies. No, I, mean, I grew up hunting and stuff like that. But in you know, horror movies, that's what it always is. Oh, we have to go down that road that we can't see where it goes and well, I'm sure we'll make it. Yeah. No. But when we look at things, we can see where God is taking us because He is the light. He is the light guiding us. And, we're, and we can trust Him to get us where He needs us. Even if we have to go through the dark, scary forest, He's there with us, getting us to safety. Right? So, Bob's email when he sent the songs yesterday, he said, he said well, it's not it's Halloween. What does it say? Well, it's not Halloween, but it could be scary or something. He you know, kind of made a joke because this is really what it is, is. is This all comes down to where you're going to spend eternity. It can be scary. But you have the ability to, to change your mind. To respond to the Holy Spirit who's, if He's prompting you. <clears throat> because sometimes it's scary to see where you're going even. So some people are afraid to get on a roller coaster. Right? If you go to an amusement park, say, yeah, I don't know. You drive by on the highway like, no, I'm not getting off. No, you're not getting me anywhere near there. We went to uh, Six Flags in Georgia one, one year. and Austin was, what, 13? He was 13 or 14, I think. So we, we stood in line for the roller coaster. We waited and waited. And uh, we get all the way to the car. Like, we're getting on the car. And he goes, nope. <laughs> so him and I had to go through the car, you know, and go out. He's like, nope. I'm not doing it. Others don't want to get on because of the line. They're like, that's too far. I don't want to wait. It's not scary, but I don't want to wait in line. Some people ride the roller coaster like this. Right? They don't, they don't have their eyes shut. They don't, they don't want to see anything or do anything. They're just hanging on for dear life. Because <clears throat> they don't want to see the drops and curves and everything else. But as a believer, we need to see our lives for all the excitement and the fear that it comes with. You need to ride this roller coaster with your eyes open because we can trust the way the roller coaster is designed, constructed, and maintained that is done correctly so we can just enjoy the ride. Right? So with God, we don't have to worry about these things. 
He's already taken care of everything. He has sent His Son into the world to fix it. So if you're a believer, you exercise your agency, you know where you're going. To, you can have eternal life. You will have eternal life with the God Almighty. It's not just a can, but you will. You are. So that's why it's imperative and important that we tell other people about this. If we're all saved, we want to help bring other people into, this, into the roller coaster cart and say, look, I know it's scary, but it's worth it. So if you're in the darkness, or maybe you know somebody who's in the darkness, maybe they're asking why. Maybe that's them starting to see the sliver of light. And they're like, well, what is that? Like they don't want to go towards it yet because they don't know. Maybe it's a scary light. Maybe it's a train coming out the, tr- the tunnel. They don't know yet, so mm, I don't know. But this light may be calling you or calling them, drawing nearer, drawing you nearer to it, or drawing them nearer to it. Encourage them to go toward it. Encourage them to go towards God. Or if you're having, you know, if you have friends who are having these questions or family members, encourage them that this is what it is. Pull, point them to this passage. And don't just stop at John 3.16. Read 16, 17, and 18, especially. Because that's really the whole gospel. And so, we can trust Him. We can believe that He is who He says He is. And you can give your life over to Him. Right? We have to do that second definition part. Give your life over to Him. And again, it's going to be scary because you're leaving things that you know. But you are not going to regret using that decision-making power for anything else. We're all going to make dumb decisions the rest of our lives, but that's the best decision you could ever make. And as you live in God's life, live in God's understanding, we can have a better life because we now make honorable and faithful decisions. So as we sing our last few songs, as we are thinking about and praying this week, think about how you can, decisions you've made in your life, or how you can encourage others to do this decision. So let's...